KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. NBC News Radio, I'm Brian Shook. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is standing up for the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. Testifying in a House hearing, Blinken said it was time to end America's longest war that had lasted two decades. He argued no one saw the rapid collapse of the Afghan government coming. Congressional leaders and lawmakers are marking the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Speaking on the East Front Capitol steps, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called it a day of heroism and losses that were unfathomable. The 9-11 attacks claimed nearly 3,000 lives in New York City, the Pentagon, and in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy praised the courage of victims and first responders. Their courage in the most difficult circumstances is an inspiration to us all, and we will never forget. Local governments in Florida that mandate employees get COVID-19 shots may face fines from the state. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis made that threat in Gainesville where city employees are suing over the mandate. The governor says the fines will be $5,000 and he also drew attention to the new state law that keeps businesses and local governments from requiring vaccine passports. Olympic gold medalists will testify before a Senate committee on the investigation into Larry Nasser. Well-known gymnasts and including Simone Biles and Allie Raisman, will go before the Senate Judiciary Committee on Wednesday to talk about the probe into Team USA's former disgraced doctor. Michaela Maroney and Maggie Nichols will also speak to lawmakers. Nasser was given a de facto life sentence for sexually assaulting many girls and women, including Biles. The director of the FBI will testify as well, and so will the Justice Department's Inspector General. I'm Lisa Taylor. Cryptocurrency Litecoin had a wild trading day after a fake press release said it was partnering with Walmart. You're listening to the latest from NBC News Radio. It's okay if you're wondering, is the COVID-19 vaccine safe for people like me? And when you're ready, here's your answer. It was tested by adult volunteers of different ages, races, genders, ethnicities, and health conditions. Tens of thousands of people, a group as diverse as California itself. And thanks to them, We know the vaccine is safe. Let's get you there. Let's get to immunity. Learn more at vaccinateall58.com or call 833-422-4255. Brought to you by the California Department of Public Health. SRD Heating and Air Conditioning takes this special time to salute the San Bernardino men and women in uniform who've answered the call for our freedoms. Let's give them the hero's welcome they deserve as they fought hard to restore peace around the world. American troops are our angels of protection, so stand up and salute them proudly. This message is courtesy of our good friends at SRD Heating and Air Conditioning in San Bernardino, where they're always working hard to keep our community moving in a positive direction. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-616-4199 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. 
Call 800-616-4199. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today. Call 800-616-4199. 800-616-4199. Men, it's time to stay sharp. Now or anytime is the time to stay sharp. Have a holiday or a special event coming up? Maybe you just want to look good for that special someone. If staying sharp is important to you, then look good with the all-new Stay Sharp Barber Shop in Redlands. Get a precision blade cut or barber trim from the master barbers at Stay Sharp. It's clean, convenient, and cool. Watch sports on one of the many big screen TVs. Kick back with an adult beverage and a warm towel afterwards. Tapers, crop tops, gentlemen's cuts. Fauxhawks, skin fades, comb-overs, hot towel shaves, and hair design. Gentlemen, treat yourself to the special service at Stay Sharp. Walk-ins are welcome. Stay Sharp Barbershop at the Tri-City Center, just off Interstate 10 and the 215 between Alabama and Tennessee on the south side of the freeway. Call 909-272-2931. That's 909-272-2931 and stay sharp. You have options when it comes to voting. Election day for the 2021 CA recall is Tuesday, but don't wait to vote. You can return your ballot today by mail, official drop box, the county elections office, or your polling location. Find your early voting options at caearlyvoting.sos.ca.gov. Hashtag vote safe CA on all social media platforms. This message is paid for by Vote Safe California. K C A A. Saying this dude trying to preach a sermon Let me speak cause the streets 
what's up, team? This is Robert Porter with the I Love San Bernardino County Radio Show on KCAA NBC 106.5 FM, 102.3 FM, 1050 AM. Well, we will talk politics, culture, and history. And a little bit later today, um, when uh, uh, Supervisor Don Rao calls in, we will talk a little bit of cannabis, home kitchens. Um, we will speak on uh, Operation Hammer Strike out there in the desert. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what, what, what's just basically going on in the county and what they're up to. And, uh, you know, just uh, try to keep the supervisor on her toes. I always love when she calls in, and she's a very honest woman, and I respect her dearly. So that should be a great interview with uh, Supervisor Don Rao. But first, I'd like to mention our sponsors, um, uh, Celebrities Bar and Grill over on 40th Street. Man, Max has all kinds of things going on over there. He's got the, the I think it's a, a steak special coming up uh, on Mondays. I think it's $14.99. He's got prime rib over there for $19.99 on a special day. He, he's, got, he's got things going down. He's got football on Sundays. He's got football the night. He, he's got footballs on uh, uh, college football on Saturdays. I mean, just, he's got everything going on over there. So, uh, you know, if you want to have some fun and, and just hang out and drink some brews or uh, have a virgin margarita like I do, um, head on over to Celebrities Bar and Grill on 40th Street, and uh, Max and Zoe will, will take care of you. Uh, they're really good people, really good. Um, I'd also like to mention the Downtown San Bernardino Art Walk on 9-17-2021, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, over 100 artists and over 15 bands and performers and uh, they'll have a bunch of vendors out there and artists, and uh, they'll be selling art and photography. Um, uh, Christopher Gonzalez has done a lot of work on this, and, uh, and Amanda as well. And uh, um, we've, we've met a couple times, and I really believe that this is uh, the answer for art in our city. And I think it, if, as long as uh, it starts to keep growing, it could be something huge. Uh, already, lots of people uh, went to the last one, and I'm sure the 100 bands, they'll be over there um, this time as well. And, and on this Friday, uh, starting it off, is uh, the famous The Native, uh, um, Pakuma Tanawa, who we've had on this show several times. They call him Short Dog. Um, he's a, a Sam Manuel um, tribal member, and he's going to be doing the opening prayer over there. So for me, that's awesome. I, like, you know, um, I'm one of his number one fans, so... Um, actually, last uh, not last uh, two Saturdays ago, we went over to Sam and no two Fridays ago, we went over to Sam and Will to go dancing at the Two Coot to watch uh, um, Full Circle live and uh, uh, Short Dog uh, the Native uh, basically uh, sing some oldies for us. So me and Amy went over there and went dancing, and you know Latino music is awesome to dance to, but to having a few oldies uh, intermingled in between there was really cool. And uh, we got to eat dinner um, over there at, at um, there's a there's a Chinese rest a new Chinese restaurant that was pretty good, um, excellent food. I forget the name of it, but it was really good. And uh, then we also got to see that huge hotel that they're built there. I mean, it's freaking awesome. It's like it's it's you know like I don't know if you know how many stories high, but it was it's pretty dang tall, and it, it is just. Um, got a pool and all kinds of coolness, so um, there'll be definitely, I, I assume, some 
awesome pool parties over there like they have over at Morongo and some of the other uh, tribal spots. So um, I can't wait for that to take place. But um, but don't forget, downtown San, San Bernardino Art Walk is uh, this Friday and starts at 6 p.m. and it will end at 10. And it's right there in downtown. You, you can't miss. It's going to be along the Breezeway and Civic Center area and um, the Enterprise Building area and then up on the rooftop. So should be really cool and uh um you know we need people to come out there and buy some of these artists uh, different wares and stuff that would be really cool um i'd also like to do a little history tidbit you know you know how i love our my arrowhead history and our arrowhead history so i'll be reading from this famous book oh i'm really not famous but legends of the arrowhead by robert porter hey you bought this book yet eric oh yeah you got 10 of them Oh, he's got seven of them already, uh, but that sounds like a lie, but uh, we'll let him off the hook there. He probably was waiting for me to give him a free one, <laughs> but he does get to hear all the stories right here. But this is a uh, Legends number uh, number four, and um, there's actually two here, but I'm not going to read the second one that belongs to Brigham Young, but um, this is from the Overland Monthly, uh, second series edition by Roundsville Woodman, July December 1865, two legends of the Arrowhead Mountain, Will C. Bailey. On the side of the mountains back, in San, uh, uh, back of San Bernardino, California, is a clearly defined image of an Indian arrowhead, covering several acres and pointing downward into the valley. Just below the point of this arrow are located some hot springs known as the Arrowhead Springs. This, um, this place has become a favorite resort both for the residents of the valley who seek the cool mountainside in the summer and the eastern tourist who is ever on the lookout for strange and beautiful in nature. Which is a good idea. We need these Easterners to come on over here, spend their money in San Bernardino, and look at our arrowhead. The origin of this particular mark has been the basis of speculation on the part of scientific men and others. It has been burnt off several times, but the vegetation grew up again the same color as the old. Several shades lighter than the rest of the mountain, the arrowhead reappears unchanged. Among two classes of old settlers, however, there seems to be no doubt as to the cause of this gigantic feature. Albeit their stories are very different, I will give the more ancient legend first. Before the Spanish forces had arrived, uh, uh, before the Spanish forces had made conquest, um, conquest of the Pacific coast, this peaceful valley was inhabited by a race of Indians who were very devout in their worship of the Great Spirit. One day the evil one, straying away from his own domain, stumbled over the mountain and through the gap which is still known as Devil's Canyon, right over there by Cal State San Bernardino. That, that was my adding right there. He was so pleased with the valley that he, determined, he was determined to possess it. It was not considered by the Indians at all improper for the great spirit to indulge in the, an innocent game of cards. The evil one um, purposes that they lay seven up for the possession of the valley. The game began. Hearts were trumps out of compliment of, to the great spirit. The evil one dealt. Each one two tricks and the evil one had the lead. The great spirit was confident for he had the ace of spades in his hand. But the evil one held a little trump. The great spirit was so disappointed that, the, that he threw the ace of spades down on the side of the mountain where it remained today and as a warning of the evils of seven up. The evil one at once sealed his claim to the valley by taking a bath in the spring near where they had played the terrible game and the waters of the spring have not yet cooled off.
So that's basically what caused the the the, um, the hot springs to, to to get hot over there. Um, you know, I, I guess I don't have enough time. I can read the next one. The other legend not only accounts for the arrowhead, but also for the original settlement of the valley by whites. Then the enthusiastic followers of Brigham Young wished to extend their territory. A party was set out from Salt Lake towards the southwest to find a suitable place for another oasis. They journeyed through the wilds of what is now Nevada, then onto the mountains of northern Arizona, finally to come onto the scorching sands of the Mojave de Desert. Here they suffered, here suffering for water and almost dead from terrible heat, they gave up and determined to return to their homes by Great Salt Lake. The angel Morani appeared that night in a vision and, comfort, and comforted them by telling them that their perseverance had won its reward and that their journey and hardship had ended and that on the morrow they might return to the land whence they came and to guide their elders to the new promised land. They, they were to make the same journey again, only from their present camping place. They were to march on until they came to the pass in the mountains, where the Indians called Cajon, Box. Leading down into the valley, they, they should follow the foot of the mountain until they came to a place where the Lord had placed an arrowhead on its side. There they should settle and build their new branch of Zion. Thus was founded the beautiful city of San Bernardino. So that was a, an interesting story because uh, later on um, I found more information that mentioned that actually um, some Mormons had come to the valley earlier and seen this area and went back up to Brigham Young and, and, and explained to him what was going on. And he said to keep it secret and to mention this vision once they reached the Mojave Desert um, to actually to kind of give them uh, um, a one-two, you know, like a one-two punch to keep on going, to, 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 you know, some confidence to keep going. And then once they saw the arrowhead, their vision was complete. And, the, you know, um, to me, you know, you've you got to do what works, but um, stealing the arrowhead story from the Native Americans, kind of like, you know, a little, you know, upset about that, but... It's still part of our history, and we have to look at it. I don't often mention the Mormon uh, histories and visions of the Arrowhead, but um, this one is kind of interesting. Um, I actually like the, the gambling one a little bit more. Um, there's a couple versions of it. Um, I don't think they were playing cards necessarily. We're probably playing peon, um, a game with uh, coyote bones. They would, they would uh, kind of guess how many bones they had in each hand, and that was one of the major games that the local indigenous tribes would play. And uh, my good friend, Bunny Silvas, is uh, uh, from Saboba, and her, uh, her, her father would play, and her grandfather would play uh, peon. And uh, they, would, they would be the ones playing, the men would, and the women would be behind them singing sacred songs. So... Uh, Pretty cool game, and uh, um, I, I think this story was told so people could, like white people could understand it better. But if it was um, told in the original language, I'm sure it, it would have probably been peon or a, a close equivalent to that game. So, because gambling uh, was uh, done all, gambling, as an anthropologist, I understand. Humans like to gamble. Don't matter if you're in the United States, China, um, uh, Japan, Australia, wherever it is. Humans like to gamble. It's, it's ingrained into our bodies. Um, some people can't ever stop gambling. It becomes even a problem. And I guess that's the, the reason it, it like gives you an adrenaline rush and 
you know, Eric likes to win a good hand of uh, a poker, right? Like, uh, do you gamble, Eric? Uh, yeah, I play a little bit of blackjack, and uh, I played roulette recently too. Yeah, did you win? Uh, yeah, I, play, I won some roulette and uh, blackjack. No, I lost it right away last time I played. Uh, was that at Sam Manuel, or where'd you go? Uh, I, I used to go to Morongo a lot, but the last time I went was actually in Vegas. Oh, in Vegas, all right. Yeah. So, like, you know, we all like to gamble, so it's a good gambling story. And uh, uh, me personally, I have not gambled in a long time. And reason being is that uh, um, I lose. <laughs> I don't like to lose my money, so I don't do too much gambling anymore. But uh, um, uh, do we have a caller? All right. We, I, we have the supervisor on the line. Uh, Don Rao, is that you? It is, sir. How are you? Oh, Don Rao from the, the San Bernardino County Board of Supervisors in the house. We appreciate you. Hey, likewise. I miss seeing you at board meetings. I hope to get you back soon. Uh, I'm, uh, so what I decided, and I knew you were going to ask this question. Um, <laughs> so basically what it is, is uh, since I've gotten back into graduate school, I had to drop something from my, uh, my really busy schedule. You know how it goes. So I had to drop the going to on Tuesdays to the meetings. But as soon as I'm done, I get my graduate degree, then I'll have my time freed up and I'm going to start going again. So does that sound cool? Good for you. What do you go? Yep, sir. Tell me what you're getting your degree in. Um, I'm getting my degree in uh, um, anthropology, um, Ooh. Uh, paleontology, and holistic education. And I'm building uh, early uh, San Bernardino history curriculums for our local schools. And then also California dinosaurs. Very cool. So, Sounds yeah. like you are a candidate in the running for the third district supervisor. <laughs> like after getting to know all you guys and gals, I, I don't know if I ever want to be a politician. <laughs> it's like it's like everybody ages like twice as fast and uh, you're always stressed. But, um, you know, it's, it's we do a appreciate bit of a blood sport. <laughs> yes, it is. But we, I do appreciate you. I do appreciate you. Um, I do have a, um, a few questions uh, before we start our interview. Uh, so I was just wondering how you feel about uh, free market principles. Like, do you believe in the free market? I do. I do. And uh, the free... I believe in very limited government regulation. That, I mean, I, it's an interesting question that I taught my kids early on is to ask politicians or public servants. Um, how they define the role of government. What should the government's role be in our lives? And I can tell you that my definition is, I think the government should do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So it could be fighting fires or paving roads or chasing bad guys, but nonprofits, family, communities, churches, service organizations do an awful lot more. Um, and so I do believe that the market should be regulated outside of the government. And uh, how do you feel about uh, taxation? Um, we, we need taxes to, you, you know, you, you, you're, you're, you got, how big is the county budget? It's huge, right? It's like. I mean, it's in the billions. I'm yeah. embarrassed to tell you. It's yeah. sort of approaching the $7 billion. But a lot of that, honestly, Robert, is passed through money that the state entrusts with us to implement state programs. And, and a lot of times that's health and human services and then our law and justice. So it could be the courts or it could and the, the county is charged with doing that for the state because we have more on-the-ground assets and easier access to our constituents. And, and, and of course, but, our, our, our military receives money from our taxes, in, which allows us to do all this in general. 
because sure. they, they protect us. So taxes, taxes are a necessary evil. Yeah, they, they're necessary. Now, not 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 overzealous taxes, but 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 taxes enough to where everyone can get those services that you were talking about, safety and and such. Well, yeah. I mean, so I think we in government oftentimes go too far in providing things. And don't forget, in government, we are required to pay prevailing wage. Um, At the federal level, it could be a Davis-Bacon wage. And a lot of times our private nonprofits can still give a competitive wage, but they don't have the overhead that government has. And they can oftentimes do things much less expensive than we can. Okay. All right. So as I move into... I'm trying to put myself out of business. <laughs> yes, but it's okay, Libby, because a good, a good politician sees where we can cut and sees where we need to add, right? So, sure. And that, that's kind of the position we put you in because most of the people have jobs and they're out there working, taking care of their families, and they, they vote people in there to do these things. Um, so with with that $7 billion, it's so huge. Um, with that $7 billion, I was going to ask, how much of it is going towards uh, our history in San Bernardino County? Well, in uh, not as much as you would want there to be. So let me <laughs> not a billion? Let me, let me cut to the chase there. <laughs> now, remember how I just defined government for you. Yes. So in that definition, I wouldn't necessarily be an advocate of having, although I love our San Bernardino County Museum, and I think we do a fantastic job of preserving the history, especially when it comes to our Serrano roots and those that were our Native American partners that were here long before we were. In the Kauai, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we do have the San Bernardino County Museum and our museum system. We have the libraries, um, and those are the two main entities that I would say are charged with the preservation of history in um, seeing it for generations to come. And then we have our nonprofit partners and our historical societies in various communities that also do an excellent job of that preservation of history. Um, I just happened to uh, visit one of our uh, historical societies, uh, the San Bernardino uh, Pioneer and Historical Society over on DNA Street. Um, they just had their first meeting um, last week. Um, it went really well. It was about the Camp Cajon Monument um, in the Cajon Pass. Have you been there before? Right there off of No, I I have not. Okay, so if you're drive if you're driving in the Cajon Pass and you pass the 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 Clayhorn like the way station right there mm-hmm. where the McDonald's yep. is, you just get off right there and head on past the McDonald's and go down to the end of the road and it kind of dead ends. And oh, the, interesting. And the monument's right there and it's if you're doing a you're really going to visit there you can stop and park there. They just moved a historic bench there that was there originally. They moved it to a San Bernardino park and now have moved it back. So one of the original hmm. so in the 1938 flood, it destroyed the whole Camp Cajon. So now um, they're trying to do a little bit of something there um, and by putting the original table back there in a monument. And I believe there's a, 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 a Mormon monument there as well. Um, and Very then, nice. And then there's also right there, there's Crowder Canyon, which is an incredible part of the Pacific Crest Trail. And you can hike um, into the canyon there, and it's like really deep. So there's a lot, um, oftentimes in the, in the winter and in the spring, there's 
there's water in there and frogs. And wow. It's it's a beautiful hike. It and it heads all the way in and it used to be one of the old routes that they would take the wagons down and everything, but um it washed out a few times. So um it was where the um one of the old toll houses were where they could actually tax people to come through the pass. So huh? it's got some cool history. Can we try that again? Uh, yeah, I was, you know, those toll roads, you know, they, they seem to <laughs> pop up everywhere nowadays. But, oh, uh, but I, I just have to travel the pass more frequently than I would like. And the traffic is brutal. Yes. And, and you only have two ways to living over in Yucca Valley. The long, both ways are long. <laughs> it is. Yep. But, uh, but like, if you do get a chance, check it out. The other historical society that I went to was, um, the big bear, um, uh, historical society meeting up at their museum. And uh, they, I did a Legends of the Arrowhead uh, um, presentation for them, and it was incredible. They had like, I think, a hundred people there. It was awesome. So, oh, that's good to hear. So uh, I was just, what I'm trying to say is that, is there any possible way to get monies, uh, you know, maybe help out some of these uh, um, historical societies with with that? There are always there are always ways to help out, and there are different ways to help out. So one of the things that I can do is I would be happy to promote them within my newsletter on social media. And then I can also look offline at seeing what we can do to help um, in a financial way. Yeah, because they really do try to save our history. Um, I, I know that the little museum they have over there at the San Bernardino Historical Society, they just curated everything and dusted it all off, put up the new pictures. They just redid the museum over at the Big Bear as well. Have you been to the Big Bear Museum before? I haven't. No, I have not. It just closed, unfortunately, but um, I'm sure they probably would open up for a special tour for you. But um, <laughs> it is, it's pretty cool. And if you, you're looking for a day to get out of Yucca Valley in the summer, it's, you know, go up there for a Saturday. It's pretty awesome. Sounds great. Um, also, I saw a little bit of history in museums up in Lake Arrowhead when I went up there this last weekend. And uh, they have, have you taken that boat ride uh, the, for the, the Arrowhead Queen? So on Big Bear Lake, we have the paddle boat. Yeah. But in Arrowhead, I have not. And that would be Supervisor Rutherford's area. And not that we don't play in each other's backyard, but the third district being as big as it is. Um, I have my hands full trying to still explore and get to know my own district. <laughs> well, do it. Do it on a day that you're not working in a in, in a you know in your you know politician capacity. Do it just to go enjoy because it's actually okay. beautiful and the, you know they have all those beautiful. It's like a Beverly Hills up there. Some of those houses wow. are five story tall and they take you around the whole uh, you know the the whole reservoir, and it's actually a. Uh, it, some really good history and they're only five feet down there. Whereas big bear, Oh my gosh, uh, mm. that, that, that lake rooks, big bears really, low. Yeah. It's real low. And that, that green algae is really getting a hold there, but uh, I is. did, but they do have some beautiful bald eagles that I saw up there last time. And I, that was awesome. So that, that's our history. I, you know, I am a, a chairman of our uh, arts and historical preservation commission here in San Bernardino. And I, you know, I have to like ask the politicians for money. So of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that if any of that comes up, you'll be, you'll jump right on it um, and uh, help them out with that. Um, I'd also like to, to talk about uh, 
Remember where we're working a little bit on the in-home kitchens? Has there in, been any movement at all on those? So, yes. And I will admit I am the swing vote on what we refer to as the Mikos. So we have two supervisors who are 100% wholeheartedly ready to implement it and two supervisors who are not and they are opposed to it. And then there's me. And I will share my philosophy with you. So um, I think it was Assembly Bill 626 that was created by, I'm going to say, Eduardo Garcia. And it, we, it's about micro enterprise home kitchens. And I could have the verbiage wrong. But it is it takes the mom and pops that cook, that like to cook, that are good at cooking, and it enables them to have a a good that they produce in their house and a service to people in the neighborhoods and produce it for sale with very, very limited restrictions around it, how many they can serve, how frequently and things like that. So it's kind of a cool concept. I love the idea. So I'm not opposed to the idea of it at all. When we got ready to implement it, um, so AB 626 allowed the counties to implement it. To decide what for it all the cities with also within oh, there, right? Yes. Yeah, so now you're getting to the, 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 the bad part of it, which was, so as we've learned, I got this education in public health and environmental health in the last two years, but the county is charged with implementing the state's arm of enforcement of environmental health. And whether that is septic tanks or restaurant businesses, we do the inspections. And we also do the enforcement. So there, there are, I don't, I don't know of any in our county, any cities that have their own environmental health department. It's just not cost effective to have your own. So you rely on the county. AB 626 in the MECO, the Home Enterprise Kitchens, it, it, it has the enforcement and the regulation falls to the county, which is completely normal. And that's fine. The problem is, is that if we as a county vote to implement it, it overlays all, all 24 of our cities. And I, philosophically, if you became a city and you paid to incorporate and you have your own voting body, how and why should the big bad county come and force you to do something if you don't want it? So I have 11 cities in my district. And I asked them, I said, do you want it? Do you not want it? And I have a mixed bag, like Redlands and Loma Linda, they would love to have it. 29 Palms, they don't want it. Big Bear doesn't want it. Um, so I'm really quite torn. Um, so, so we are petitioning the state and our legislators to amend that legislatively to say that cities can opt out if they want um, and, and not force them into it. So if that can happen, I'm 100% in. Um, which sounds like a, an interesting solution. So would it, would it alleviate the problems that are occurring right now with the, ven the, the street vendors? Um, like by, so basically offering an alternative because, you know, like in San Bernardino, uh, we have a, we have a I lot of street vendors. We do, we do. And I don't, you know, we see it. I see it over in Bloomington. I see it in parts of Rialto. I, I don't think it eliminates it. I think wherever there's a market, you're going to see vending. Um, so I don't necessarily think it, it alleviates the street vendors. 
But I, I do think it creates an interesting niche for people that maybe want, I mean, come on, we're California. We, we overtax for everything, and it's really cost prohibitive to be in business, which I know you're going to hit me up on cannabis, so remind me about that aspect. <laughs> so, so, but we do. We make it really difficult, and there are significant barriers to entry um, in the restaurant business. It is really expensive. And then you go and you open up a storefront and you invest in products and equipment and then manpower labor. And then what? You don't, you don't know if your lasagna is any good or not. So Amico is a great way to try to, to see if you have a product that's really going to sell to your community and should you make that investment. So I, I really like the concept and I don't think it takes away food vendors or that's a different area. Um, I think our, and I love our food vendors, but I think that they're they're two completely different markets. So one probably won't alleviate the other, but it does give an extra opportunity for entrepreneurship. Um, I do believe yeah. it may alleviate some some of these uh, street vendors may decide to just create a like a little restaurant right at their house. Like I know all kinds of neighborhoods in San Bernardino where there are people already do that. They just set up the taco stand right in front of their house, right? Mm -hmm. People come there, and that's probably illegal, but I hope we could change that. Um, the, the other thing, my solution, I always tell the city, is um, there needs to be some type of micro license um, where you can have it for the for the day or for the week, and you can sell. And uh, like people are like, well, how do you enforce it? How do you get inspections and all? Maybe they can send pictures of uh, their sink. Or, you just, yeah. You just made my head spin. <laughs> um, I don't know how you would. I mean, honestly, I've learned more during COVID about mobile food facilities and temporary food facilities, MFFs and CFFs. And we don't have reciprocity between counties. So these poor people go and they get licensed in, say, L.A. or Orange County that have a very onerous, rigorous licensing thing. And you'd think that we in San Bernardino would say, hey, if it's good for L.A., it's good for us, but we don't. And I don't know why we don't. I'm still looking into it. But And a lot of those um, L.A. vendors, they actually come to San Bernardino and vend. I see their numbers. I know. And I'm like, whoa, that they're from San Bernardino. I mean, they're, they're from L.A. L.A. Yeah. Um, I just, so there's I just no know reciprocity. There's, I think there's definitely different things we could do. Um, I don't know about, I mean, we have temporary permits for things, whether it is, um, a carnival or a fair or things like that, that pop up. But again, they can't, they're, they're pretty like, you can't just go online and fill it out and send in your picks. So that, that's I why I was leaning towards a more like a maybe San Bernardino City could do that. We're the county, man. We're here. We're twenty two thousand people deep. We're here to help make bureaucracy bigger. Well, it's crazy. Well, 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 what I was thinking is a, a free enterprise zone. But what I often run into is because there has to be a county inspector there. So, like, um, if, you, if you did create a small free enterprise zone that people could get their permit on the same day as they show up there, you'd have to have a an inspector from the city and the county there to give that you know, initial permit, but maybe they could only be there an hour. Uh, you know, the people, you know, eventually it would become streamlined and you could sell there. But the other thing is like, maybe they'd be able to, once they got that permit, they could go somewhere else and then in the city. I, I, I just, I just know there's, there has to be some solution to this because it's just like whack-a-mole. Like I see with cannabis, like you, 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 right. you take down the vendors one day and they're, they're just moved to somewhere else 
or uh, a new vendor takes their place. And uh, I just want it to be fair. And I love me some street tacos. Let me tell you. I, I, I know. I've been in Mexicali at, you know, three in the morning and uh, gone out and got street tacos. And, you know, we always had a great time. Um, I grew up in San Felipe with tons of street tacos. <laughs> so when, it, when, when the wave of, of, of vendors came into San Bernardino, I thought it would actually be great. But unfortunately, um, you know, when I talk to people like uh, the owners of uh, Two Guys uh, Pasta and Pizza, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's detrimental to their business, right? Well, and you talk to the homeowners outside or in the neighborhoods where the vending is taking place, and they'll tell you about all the stuff that's sort of being left behind. Um, it, it could be grease. It could be water. It could be a number of different things. It's not as ideal as you would think or hope it to be. Oh, man, it, it, being a politician, it sure is hard, isn't it? I know. So, yeah, I, w- I would never thought I'd hear myself say this, but I'd rather talk about cannabis and historical society. That's an easier <laughs> fix, Robert. <laughs> okay, well, uh, what we, we, we had uh, protecting our history, home kitchen. Oh, oh, the homeless ban in the mountains. So I, yeah. I, I've been to a lot of mountain communities in the last uh, since COVID started. You know, it's a good place to get away and, and hide out in the forests and stuff. Um, I do tend to ask the restaurant owners if they have homeless, you know, like figure out what, what and usually they say they have, you know, a handful here or there, usually seasonal. Um, does this ban of camping in the mountains, is that mainly just for fire protection purposes or it is so just to clarify it is it is to prohibit homeless encampments so and and honestly right near where the area that you all were just talking about sort of going up um up to big bear right at the at the base of the mountain you you have homeless encampments where they are lighting fires for whatever the reasons, pro- probably to cook. It's not to stay warm at this time of the year, but it's for cooking purposes. And we have had a number of fires that start in the encampment that are right off the highway um, where the homeless are living. And as you know, in the state of California and many of the Western states, we, we have to do everything we can to mitigate the risk of wildfires. Um, and it's, it's for their own safety. It's for the safety of our residents that live below, above, um, in that wildlands interface area. It is an extreme danger and we're just trying to keep everyone safe. So that was the spirit of it. It was born out of the concern of the residents up in Crest Forest, Crestline, Arrowhead, and Supervisor Rutherford has sort of been leading that charge to, look to not have fires allowed in the homeless encampment. So that they're allowed, they would be allowed to still camp, but no fire or if there's any under, type of, under the resolution that the board of supervisors is entertaining tomorrow. It just is strictly dealing with um, the fight, the fire aspect. Now it, it really should I mean, yeah, even if you were allowed to have them camp, it, technically, and it depends on what kind of land you're talking about. Is it forest service land? Is it county land? Is it tribal land? Um, is it Bureau of Land Management? Is it private land? 
for the most part, homeless encampments in the mountain areas are, are not allowed, nor would we really ever encourage them. We're trying to get our homeless the services that they need, whether it's addiction-related or mental health services. The farther up you get into the wooded areas, the, the more removed you are from access to those services. So even if you remove the aspect of legality, it's not in their best interest, and it's certainly not in their um, in the, the for the health and safety of our forests and those living in it, whether they're homeless or residents. And, and the 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 real the, the the real kind of like hermit kind of homeless that live have always lived in the mountains. You'll never catch them. Correct. They're so deep in there, anyways. But what we're more talking about is the encampments that build up, like in the foothills, and, and it's, it's absolutely the foothills. It's yeah. sort of right on the edge of society. So, uh, is there any concern about? Um, so, the Supreme Court of the United States basically said that people are allowed to camp on sidewalks. Um, well, yeah, is, the bo- the boy we referenced it as the Boise decision. Yeah. And they're only allowed to camp on sidewalks unless your jurisdiction has a place where they can take them and house them. Yeah, they have to have um, a solution, right? Correct. If there is no solution, then they are allowed to remain. And if there is a solution that is in their best health and safety interest, then the jurisdiction may safely remove them and transport them to that facility. So, so does that mean that the county is prepared to house these individuals so the state won't in turn sue the county for making this law? So uh, uh, not at this point, other than our nonprofit shelters and the limited housing spaces that we have for our homeless, um, we are looking to implement larger facilities to accommodate that. Because really, I kind of feel like this is putting the, I mean, I understand fire issue, but it's putting the, the, the cart before the horse. If we don't have the, the, the facilities to mitigate the problem of, of where they're going to go, um, it seems like it's going to fall on the cities, and we're already inundated with issues when it comes to our, our, our homeless crisis. Um, well, I can tell you that City of Redland, San Marino, Highland, Loma Linda, Grand Terrace, we are, Colton, we are all in talks about how to, like, jointly and and the unified front work to have um, a central facility that would accommodate taking care of those vulnerable citizens that are unsheltered. So like like a, like, is it possible to get like a, like a huge hospital like building or something? Like, like how do you, how, how do you envision this, this problem being solved or at least, you know, helped along a little bit? So there are all kinds of interesting different solutions. I know in Riverside County, they have like little mini houses, um, which which we'll be speaking have, about in San Bernardino on, or we're going to bring it up on the agenda for the future, talking about tiny houses. Sure. Yeah, yeah. They, they've talked to that. I've talked to um, Council Member Barrett in Redlands, brought a proposal for something like that, um, sort of in the unincorporated area um, near the 210, just sort of the east of the 210, right where Redlands kind of Mentone County area and Redlands sort of on the edges of San Bernardino looking at doing something in that general vicinity that would serve 
Highland, San Bernardino, Redlands in the county. So it, it is absolutely possible to build something like that. Don't think we need to reinvent the wheel. We have partners in other states, be it um, state of Washington, state of Oregon, that have. And here's the other thing, too, Robert, to consider is even if you house them, you still have to provide them services or access to services. And I, I sat through a seminar today that said it takes. 10 contacts with a homeless person to have them trust you. So in San Bernardino County, we have the HOPE team that goes out and makes those contacts and tries to get placement. And they do have places where they can take them to get them housed. It doesn't solve the problem because we need more of uh, more interim places to house them. And if you're, if you're at, and, and Supervisor Rutherford and Supervisor Baca are the ones that sit on our interagency ICH. Inner Council for Homelessness. So they are the experts in this area. I, I cannot really speak um, to the work that the ICH is doing, but I can tell you from my personal viewpoint, something has to happen to prevent people from becoming homeless in addition to serving those that have already become. And that is, could be a combination of, I think it's three things. It's affordable housing. It is stopping the addictive cycle. Um, that leads to mental health challenges or serving those that have mental health challenges before they become homeless. And, and there's one more and, that needs to be added to that. Um, um, when, I, when I was interviewing uh, uh, Lieutenant Fivey from the San Bernardino Police Department at our Neighborhood mm-hmm. Association meeting, we spoke about, um, is it AB 109 and all these... Uh, realignment. Yeah, the realignment and a, a lot of... Uh, prisoners Parolees. yeah uh, back on the streets and uh so but i don't think the solution is building more prisons like how do you help them no. transition better so they don't end up on the streets sure and we do our our county we have a brand new department within the department of the sheriff's office that is addressing that specific issue um, we have Captain James Porter, who is working with Sheriff Dykes. I like that guy's um, name. Oh, I'm sure you do. <laughs> so James Porter is a fantastic human being, and he is somebody that you should have on your show. He actually lives in Yucca Valley also. He is one of my favorite human beings, and he can speak to the new program that he was instrumental in helping. And it talks about when people get out of jail, how do we... Um, provide them with that opportunity to not be um, a statistics in recidivism. And James Porter will absolutely sort of um, give you hope for what San Bernardino County is doing with that. All right. So I'm going to be, I'll send you a text uh, after the show and we'll, we'll get, I'll connect you too. Yeah. That'd be a great show. All right. 10 minutes left. Uh, Transition into my, you know, my favorite subject in a prop sixty four and a very important subject to you lately. Um, I've noticed you've done several posts on Operation Hammer Strike. Yes, um, sir. Because marijuana pictures look awesome online, and everybody clicks them, but they may not be <laughs> clicking them for the same reason you're <laughs> thinking, right? They, they, there, oh. there is some 
squeaky wheels, I'm sure, in your your uh, your district. <laughs> so, that's, well, so this is interesting because somebody tagged me on one of your personal posts, and I don't remember what it was had to do with something that I probably put up, and they they berated me for the whole thing. But and I thought, you know what, I'll I'll address it with you one on one, not on social media, but. When you look at, and, and you, like, I've shared a little bit of, like, my, my son's journey with cannabis and him trying to equate it to alcohol. So we, we've talked about that, right? I, I do have the libertarian side of me that says, hey, you do you as long as it doesn't interfere with me, society, or anything else. I truly don't care, yeah, Robert. Yeah, my body, my choice. That's right. So when it comes now to illegal cannabis, and we should probably have me back on for part two of this because <laughs> I could get on my soapbox. So here's, here's the deal. Let's say, for the moment's sake, that I am for legal cultivation. I, I would be losing my mind just as I am now with what is taking place in the far reaches of the county with illegal cultivation. It's but, not just happening in San Bernardino County. It's but, horrible. Yeah, it, there, there is uh, definitely a rash of uh, illegal grows. But yes. what if I said that it's no different than it was before Prop 64? It's just... Oh, I would argue with you. I, would, I think I could actually maybe even win that debate, not even being a cannabis user. So, 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 so you're, what you're seeing is you're seeing people that have decided, yay, you know, it's legal. I'm just going for it. And you're seeing the, the cartels that are probably funding a lot of this stuff. But all that stuff was still happening before. It was just happening deep in the forest, hidden sure. in people's houses. You know, they're just a little bit more open with it now. And then there's a bigger market. Well, so I would argue that the market and not that I want to pick on Governor Newsom, but the Bureau of Cannabis Control, when you look at, like, I've tried to study, like, why is it all of a sudden that the third district has become like the cannabis grow central of the world? And it's because we're remote. We have access to the 15, it, but the 10. It, it's always been that way. We've always got our weed from the deserts in the mountains. It's always been from the county, at least as I, me growing up. So, like, it, yeah, to, to me, it's, it's no it's different. Like, Wow. <laughs> well, I just think you're just aware of it now and people that weren't aware. No way. Of, yeah. So I do see you, you're, you are knocking down a lot of these illegal grows. So we can give you I'll, that. Much. So here's all. So the residents that I will call my neighbors from out in the third district that are, they've been there for years and years and years. They ride their horses in their quads. They do their thing. They, their entire life has changed because of all of the illegal growth. I think that the Farm Bill of 2018 that legalized um, industrial hemp, and we, we see Prop 64, you're absolutely right, it came out of the national forest and down lower. There's a, a whole bunch so of the decriminalization, which is meant to create, um, well, it's meant to stop uh, the prosecution of our minorities in being brutally prosecuted for those type of crimes that were really should have been misdemeanors. But all of that was well-meaning, and I don't disagree with any of it, but the in, the unintended consequences, now that you have misdemeanors for illegal grows, we, we see human trafficking on a regular basis. People paying their way in, living in conditions. So I've been out on several raids, unbelievable living conditions for these folks, and it's not their fault. 
So which should I, be, which should be remedied. I'm not arguing against that. I'm, I, I, what what I what I kind of wish is there was at least a legal avenue for those that wish to do it properly to have their so, own grow. Well, okay. So let's take that. Let's take that argument for just one second. I don't know when we run out of time, but we got five five, five minutes. Okay. So if you take the counties that have legal cultivation allowed right now, so there's some green zones in Riverside County. Doesn't matter. They're still dealing with illegal grows all over, and you know why? Because under under Newsom's law on how they have implemented Prop 64, it is so expensive. It's just really cost prohibitive. So growers would rather take their chance, grow illegally. If they get caught, eh, maybe they come into compliance. Maybe they switch industries. And and that really truly is a barrier to entry in the cannabis cultivation world. So even if and I could make a case for legal cultivation. I go to the counties and I say, should we just legalize cultivation that have it? And they say it hasn't solved their problem. Yeah, but the, the voters of the state basically said, and the voters, your constituents in the county of San Bernardino told you they wanted cannabis to be legal. The county has a ban that, that does not equate to how the voters voted so the voters gave you the answer to legal cannabis the county chooses to maintain the ban um at least if it's legal you can tax it and san Bernardino, and i think that's what you got tagged in the san Bernardino has made like 1.2 million dollars in cannabis um tax revenues um those those revenues can be used for enforcement those, th- those revenues are revenues that aren't coming directly out of my pocket, right? Well, so we could split hairs. Like, it was a very close vote in the state of California on Prop 64. So it wasn't necessarily an overwhelming supermajority. It was, 60, it was at least 62%, I, I'm pretty sure, which is well, still pretty high. Well, but then you eye. look at that in San Bernardino County that at that time was still pretty red and Conservative, and I'm not sure. Like, and that's I, the only reason that it's not legalized. Right. So I wouldn't necessarily point to my voters and say that my voters overwhelmingly passed Prop 64. I would say that in this instance, I'm probably a fairly good representative of how they voted at that time. Okay. So, and again, like cannabis is not my hill to die on. I could, I could honestly argue both ways on it. Well, well, well thank you very much. I hope you're arguing more on the side of at least – Starting the process, the baby step process of legalization, and a lot of times I think you're going to find that once these legal established businesses get set, they're going to want to help and stop the legal black uh, or uh, shadow market for cannabis Um, because they're going to want They absolutely do, and so do the hemp growers too, which we embrace, so – so, so th- if there is an avenue, I can't really, you know, I can't really argue, but there isn't one. So that's why I'm, I'm I guess I, I'm not picking on you, am I? No. Wait, I have a question. Do any other supervisors like, come on your show? Come help me, dude. One, one second, Don. I, I lost, I lost you here. What, what's this one in here? And then one fell out of here. Uh, did I got you back, Don? I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. 
So, no, no. I just was curious. Do you get other supervisors on the show? Oh, I, I get uh, Supervisor Baca, but you know he is liberal. So, he, but he's a former school teacher. So he's kind of like you know he doesn't really love cannabis, but he understands that you know we're sure. kind of heading that way, and and you do too. I do. I I, I don't I um I I I asked Rutherford on the show um like during COVID. I wanted her to speak on some things, but um she, I guess she was too busy, so I just didn't didn't have an asked her again. But the other the the I haven't asked the other two because I know they they probably hate cannabis. Well, but you could get them to talk on other things. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. I, 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 I just uh, right now it's kind of like big in the news, and I have noticed them sure. being sh- shared a lot, especially the the operation hammer strike. Who who came up yes. with that name? Sheriff's Department. <laughs> well, it, it's sensational. It, it it does good for uh, promotional purposes, but mm-hmm. I just hope that uh, um, it, it, is it possible. F- like, cause you mentioned maybe by the end of your term that cannabis might be moving forward. Now, isn't there a few um, spots in the county that they are letting them going, letting them sell? Oh, I'm, so, I'm, I'm no. sorry. I'm it's, at the end of the show. I gotta let you go. Uh, man, we're gonna have to have a round two, Don. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 